Hi, I'm Miranda Genowitz, and this is Whereabouts, where we explore the curious ways that politics, business, and culture intersect with real estate markets around the world. In this episode of Whereabouts, we cross the pond to London, England, where newly seated Prime Minister Boris Johnson is planning Brexit, the country's controversial and drawn-out withdrawal from the European Union. Since the referendum passed in 2016, Britain's housing market has been in a sort of limbo, as homebuyers and investors alike try to understand what the long-term effects will be on the economy and the population once Brexit goes through. Amidst the turmoil, London remains a world-class financial center, a higher education metropolis, and is now exploding as a burgeoning technology hub. My co-host today is Guy Bradshaw, Managing Director of United Kingdom Sotheby's International Realty. Guy and I got together in beautiful Palma, Mallorca to watch the boats race in the 38th Copa del Rey regatta and to discuss what trends are likely to come on the heels of Boris's election and the eve of Brexit becoming law. So excited to see you today. A lot happening in the UK in these last couple of weeks. Looking to talk a little bit about how that has affected your property market. Most recently, uh, we're right on the heels of Boris Johnson taking over as prime minister for the country, and he is going to be shepherding the UK through its Brexit. Indeed. Yeah, so that's coming up for October, end of October is the deadline? Correct, October 31st, very aptly Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. He is very Brexit positive. He is uh, really behind it. Tell me about that and how you see that affecting your work. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it has been very interesting. You're right in terms of the, the UK as a whole. The past couple of years, it's been very, very driven towards the Brexit after we had the, the vote um, in, in the UK. And we've now uh, had Boris Johnson appointed by his party. So 120,000 members of the Conservative Party have um, appointed him um, as our Prime Minister. And he has now shuffled his cabinet. And he now has a team which um, is aligned with where he wants to go and to take the country, which I think is is very different to what Theresa May, our former Prime Minister, had. And that's where I think a lot of the issues stemmed from in terms of the, the delivery of Brexit, because there was there were too many people who were, were not aligned with, with her vision, shall we say. But in terms of Boris Johnson in, and um, the property sector, it's... Um, there's a sort of ray of sunshine, I guess, for us in terms of, of what he's looking to do, because we had, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, is we had some stamp duty changes a few years ago um, right. with the, the former um, Chancellor George Osborne. Um, he brought in some very high changes in, in the sort of stamp duty percentages, um, taking that up to sort of 15% and also a further 3% if you own more than one home. Um, so let's just pause for a quick second because stamp duties is, uh, well, they have them in, in France, they have them in some other countries, not in the United States. Tell me just quickly sort of what those are and how that works. Yeah, of course, no problem. So when you are buying a property, an investment or your own home in the UK, you are subject to a stamp duty land tax, which um, in effect is a charge, which is payable to HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Payable by the buyer. By the buyer, correct. Yeah, by the buyer, which um, again, we can come on to something else about that shortly. But um, the, in terms of, of what that is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a charge which is 
sort of levied on stage payments, sort of, not stage payments, but you sort of um, different levels and bracket levels of the price point. So for example, up to £125,000 in value, there is 0% stamp duty payable. So actually, if you buy a home for £50,000, £60,000, whatever it might be, there is no stamp duty payable at that sort of level. Okay. And then after that, it then steps up to a percent. So from one twenty-five up to 250000 you then pay 1%. And then two fifty to, I think, sort of 500 is sort of 3%. So it's like a graduated exactly. tax in a way. Yeah. Um, well, I'm imagining there's not a lot in London for £125,000. You'd be doing well to, to, to get something at that sort of level. Okay. So these stamp duties uh, were a, a big imposition for, for buyers. Um, they were, they're new as of a few years ago? That's No, so the stamp duties have been around for a while, but the changes have, have the changes in the, in the upwards percentages um, applicable to buyers is what's really sort of, sort of, I guess, slowed or, or, or made people think about whether, whether they want to invest or transact um, more than they were. And that's, that's been the, the, the biggest thing. I mean, look, stamp duty's been around for years. It's, it's something which buyers have to pay. They yeah. know they've got to pay. It's part of the, it's part of the package when you're, when you're buying an asset in London. Uh, and therefore, it's, it's, you, know, you, you, you factor that in in terms of your overall budget when you're, when you're buying, a, buying a property. So, but the, but the, the highest rate had gone up now to 12%. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So the highest rate is 12%. Um, but also there is something if you do own more than one home, there's a further three percent. Oh wow! So yeah. up to fit, and is it different for a, a non-resident buyer versus a resident buyer, or is that? Nope. Yeah. It's the 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 charges remain the same. But a, a, a purchase tax of of twelve percent, let's say, is has obviously has an effect on the market. I, i.e., you have people less apt to flip property, people who might want to change out of an old home, but are kind of discouraged from doing that because they're going to have to pay that on a new home. Are these factors that have come into the market? Is, is this, I mean, I've read here and there, London's having a, a property crisis. What is the crisis? You're, you're right. I mean, uh, overall, the, the whole changes in the stamp duty were driven to try and slow down the international investment into London. Um, so, you know, to, if we, we, we analyze, we take the Sotheby's Realty website so, and, and we, we, we do the back analytics of that. And it's been very apparent over the last two, three years with, with the way that the currency has been playing out that the feeder markets into London and London is a key city in Europe, in the world for, for investment. And it's been very apparent the shift in um, nationality um, of our buyers. So, you know, for for many a year, the Chinese buyers have always been at number one. They sure. are they're they are very keen to invest in London. They see London as a as a safe haven. They like the new build stock. We've got really really strong an education system in London. It's regularly voted the number one city in the world for for education with some of the top universities. Um, and therefore, a lot of the Chinese will buy property for their children, um, who eventually will come here to study. We've then had Indians, um, Indian buyers up there, um, Middle Eastern buyers, UK buyers. And then um, previously, about sort of two years ago, in fifth place was actually the US market. Um, okay. However, with the whole Brexit conundrum, um, and that's going on, we've seen a significant change in the dollar to pound um, uh, exchange rate. 
And so where the dollar had been, I mean, we, we were talking earlier, you know, back, back, back many years ago, you, were, you could have been up to sort of $2 to the pound in the yeah. good, good old days for, for us, not for you. <laughs> not um, for <laughs> <us>. <laughs> um, but you've, we're now, I think, I think today's rate is about 1.21, yeah. um, which is, you know, for, for you guys is great. It's fantastic. And that's, that's where we're seeing now, right now, the US or dollar-based buyers have now jumped into number two in terms of our wow. feeder market. Yeah. Um, that's a significant increase. So, um, so the stamp duty was raised in order to kind of discourage that that international investment. Is that it was? Yeah, because you've got uh, when you when you own more than one home, it's, it's more the, more of the three percent for the for the second home ownership. That was what was was trying to sort of stem that. What they what the government really wanted to do was try and try and bring more domestic um, and UK based buyers into the market and make it more easier for them. You know, central, prime central London is a is a hotbed for international investment, and it will it will always remain that way. It's you know there there are you know the the infrastructure that we have in London from our you know our legal systems, our you know the the, the tech companies that are coming in and committing to to office space in, into London. They it really is sort of shining through in terms of you know people physically coming into London all the time for both work and and for for living as well. So so did the stamp duty increase have a negative effect? They weren't ready for is is that a little bit what is making them now look at that as as as, as a real negative and, and wanting to change i think so what, what they've what they've done is the government have analyzed the the fact that prior to the prior to the change in, in the rates the, the volume of transactions was actually 94 percent higher wow which is a staggering amount and if you think if you think that the stamp duty, the money from stamp duty in effect is just is being paid into into the government into hmrc it's it's a key driver behind getting getting income in, into 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 the government well so, but if you have half the number of transactions exactly. then right so exactly. you, you've you've lowered volume you you've 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 lowered how many uh transactions are happening now you have more money per transaction but you have half as many transactions of course okay and you've got and also it's, it's worth pointing out that i suppose you know, if we if we if we look at, at Lehman, um, for example, the, the Lehman crash back yeah. in back in two thousand and eight, what happened there was the markets fell off a cliff in terms of in terms of value. So people's homes dropped overnight. Developers needed to to shift their stock, and the same thing happened then as it did now, which is the dollar based buyers came in and the clever clever dollar buyers came in and they snapped up investment properties and they hedged their bets on the currency. And these are the sort of conversations that I'm having right now with 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 U.S. buyers, with, with or buyers with with dollars to spend, sure. because they 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 see it like that. And I think the fact that Boris Johnson has come out and said that he is looking looking to to change the stamp duty and, and bring it down to a sort of max of seven percent is really giving a bit of sort of positive light into the market. Interesting. And so he's bringing it down, and as I understand it, he's he's also looking to raise the minimum property price that is even subject to stamp duty is that that's right too right he's bringing it up to sort of a half a million pounds um is that seen as more specifically to benefit uk based of buyers home buyers yeah indeed yeah. it's 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 a very good point it's you know that that sort of level is is really to help people get onto the property ladder i think that the overall cost for someone who's coming out of university or or, or stepping into their sort of first job or you know wants to get out of, of a rental property leasing property and into into a purchase 
the costs associated with it are very, very hard. And, and equally, you know, not everybody can rely on bank of mum and dad. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, but it's rates a, are exceptionally low in are. London. And, and is that expected? So, so Boris Johnson comes in, Brexit is looming in the background for this fall. Like, what are the changes that you see happening? Those, both of those things coming together, not necessarily one or the other, but is there a view to uh, a, a crash? Is there a view to explosion of properties on the markets? Where, what are we working with here? Sure, it's um, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to predict. But you know, looking at the sort of commentators and the analysis of what what they think is is likely to happen is that we're going to see a change in in the stamp duty as, as we've already discussed. Um, what we think is going to happen is that exchange rate, sorry, the um, uh, the um, interest rates are going to remain low. Um, the cost of borrowing has never really been cheaper. On the basis that interest rates are so low, it means that people, you know, they've got to find something to to invest in. So if they're not getting the return on on money that's sitting there in a bank or or on st- on the stock market or whatever it might be, property is is the Makes next next best sense. thing. So you know, I think I think what we'll see is. I think we'll see, you know, Boris has, you know, there's a lot of talk that they may go down towards the sort of no deal Brexit. I think, you know, we have obviously from a trade perspective, we have very good, um, um, you know, ally in, in the US and, and Boris and, and Donald's clearly get on. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's there's clear opportunity there. And I think, you know, a lot of people want, they want to work with the UK. So, you know, Japan and Germany, wherever, wherever it might be, that things will be, things will be sorted out. In the short term, yes, there'll be a bit of bit of um, stickiness in, and adjustment, but you know the, the biggest thing is if if there is a crash, the first thing that the government will want to do is to ensure that the property market is on an even keel, if not an upward trajectory, because that is where they're going to get the money into the treasury. Interesting. So, so this this no deal or disorderly Brexit, I think, is the same thing. Yes, and is and and that has the potential to do what? more than an orderly Brexit in terms of the property market. Just is it just about uncertainty or is it about some other um I think I think it's it's uncertainty. Um I think the the fact that he's talking about the stamp duty changes is preparing the property market to try not to have a drastic crash, which I don't think will happen. Um I think the you know the it depends what you know, we've we've first of all we've got to have the autumn statement and see see where he wants to go. He's got his his guys now looking at this whole stamp duty thing. I think we just you know we we get through to we get through to October and then we'll we'll know where we are. So he has he's been very forthright in his statements that come what may October thirty first we will be leaving uh, the European Union with a deal or no deal. It- plays highly in the minds of non-British buyers or investors. You know, right now, if I understand kind of the crisis is a lack of inventory, that prices are high, but coming down a little bit, adjusting. So is is part of this, you know, it, 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 some of it has to be the uncertainty. Um, some of it has to be that trading in property, especially for people who might want to downsize. I mean, I, I think I read somewhere that, Fifty percent of uh, homes owned by um, elderly people in Britain are, are considered under occupied, meaning they have two or more empty bedrooms. Whereas young families can't find anything to buy. Is some of that? This is what he's trying to address. This is kind of what he's trying to lay the groundwork for. No matter how the Brexit turns out, is that it is? Yeah, it it is. I mean, we we there's a shortage of stock, and and we 
as as a country we we are we're crying out for for more stock um everywhere and more homes to be built and more affordable homes to be built the difference between london and the outside of London, for example, the, the, the north is vast. So the, the, the prices are, are very, you know, extremely different for what you can and can get for your money. Um, I think that, you know, right now, right now, what we're seeing is in this sort of limbo period is that the domestic buyers and sellers are the ones who are maybe sitting on their hands a little bit more um, than, than, than obviously the, the foreign investors. It's it's a buyer's market. Well, and, and, and I imagine, too, that from an investor perspective, uh, rents you must be almost guaranteed to be able to rent. I mean, if people can't buy property, they must have to rent the property. Is that or is that a strong argument to investing in the UK market? I mean, are there if you wanted to buy to let, is that a is that a good proposition at the moment in the UK? How does that absolutely? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. the rental market in in London and the UK has has always been very strong. The um, student market is huge in in the UK, and you get. A lot of wealthy overseas students coming into London who want to rent for a year, two years, three years, however long they're they're here for, and they will, you know, they're they're excellent. They pay money up front. Um, a lot of the time, they're, they're you know they've they've come from extremely good backgrounds, and and they'll pay some top rents. You know, we've seen we've seen students pay rents from five hundred pounds a week going up to ten thousand pounds a week, um, wow. depending on their background. So you know, so it's a great market, and and you know the the, the student rental market in well. Sorry, the student the student market into London. So overseas students coming into London, it's worth it's nearly, massive. yeah, it's massive. It's worth thirty five billion to the economy. Wow, it's huge. Interesting. Well, one of the things you mentioned earlier actually was about the tech boom, and you know, our in fact, our first episode, uh, we talked with uh, Michael Dreyfus uh, in Silicon Valley about the slate of IPOs that are coming out for two thousand nineteen and how that's going to affect a very developed market in Silicon Valley of real estate that it also has very high prices. Um, tech has been there for decades, but that trend is happening in cities all over the world. We have Silicon Alley in Berlin. We have uh, Silicon Alley in New York. And in London, is it East London that is having the big tech city boom? Is that where things are happening? Yeah. So um, London is being being hit by the by the tech boom as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you go to it's it's more sort of Kings Cross, Shoreditch, that sort of area. Okay. Um, so up towards getting, getting towards the sort of north northern sections of London. There's been some big press recently on Google and Apple. Yes. So Google have their building right now in King's Cross, which is a really fun area, actually, because that's had a real, real sort of um, change of, of, of scenery. It's, you know, there's been a lot of investment and it's become a very cool and sort of trendy place to be. Okay. Um, and the Google have committed to a million square foot of, of office space, which wow. is really exciting. Um, and Apple too, right? It's yeah. made a huge office commitment. Indeed. So yeah. Apple um, reportedly are taking nearly 700,000 square feet of office space down in Battersea. So, you know, yeah. and we, we the reports from the press saying that Google are going to be um, recruiting in 9,000 people to come into their office and and Apple sort of 7,000. And so, well, all these new uh, tech jobs would certainly bring in a lot of millennials, younger people. Are they focused still on being in London? Are they looking kind of beyond the city limits to find cheaper properties? Uh, Where do they come out in terms of where they want to be yeah great question it's um i mean in in terms of the millennials it's um they definitely want to be in london they like the the ease of being able to sort of step out that front door and get their cappuccino and <laughs> um head, head off to work for the day it's um you know and that's that's one of the i think one of the one of the interesting things i know 
you know, we, we, we were hearing that there was a development in, in North London, quite close to King's Cross, um, where they released eight penthouses. Um, all of these penthouses were above £5 million in value each. Every single one of them was sold to a tech millionaire be, below the age of 30. Wow. Um, which is, is is very interesting, and it, and it shows you know the the levels of younger wealth, um, and I guess the the levels of of you know stems from from the education you know where, where they're educated in the US, in China, in, in UK, wherever. But it's just you know these these guys are they're very very intelligent. They've got great businesses, and it's you know, it's an exciting time to be in that industry. It really is. For sure. And they are uh, certainly happy to come together and live in their same neighborhoods. Are they looking to branch out into more traditional neighborhoods or how do you see there? Are they kind of going into little micro neighborhoods? Does that seem to? It's one. I mean, one of the things that's changed in London is if is, is the sort of development living. London has always had a relatively um, take New York, for example. New York's very high rise in yeah. terms of the, you know, a lot of the a lot of developments, you know, you go up to whatever 70 odd floors or whatever london doesn't really have that so i think our, our tallest skyscraper is about 50 floors 54 floors something like that and it's you know we we just don't have that height so is that a residential building correct 50 floors? Okay. yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. the right. highest residence 54 floors so you know we just don't have that height so people are used to you know they're, 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 they're getting more used to living in developments and what 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 the developers are doing is focusing a lot more on amenity space so people now want ease they want they want to be able to go to the gym they want to be able to have have a coffee a glass of wine whatever it might be bring their laundry bring, exactly bring the laundry <laughs> yeah. what do you know do everything have you know have a swim whatever whatever it might be have know that they've got a kids club in there with close to them whatever and a lot of the developments now are creating amenity space i mean we've got certain developments that we look after which have got sort of sixteen thousand square feet of, of club space and that will include include like a working environment with wi-fi it will include a, a bar it will include a, a wine storage where you can so get it's in. also about community it's about yeah. amenities and community i mean obviously there these are a lot of transplants these are people who are coming to london without family without connections building their own little micro communities absolutely like yeah them. absolutely and you know you, these some of the developments you've got interlinking buildings you'll have shared opportunity to use the the pool in another building or a gym in another building or a workspace in another building okay. and then they'll also have an app where all the residents can communicate so you know if you need something so i know i, I heard stories okay. about about a resident in in one of our buildings who ne urgently needed a babysitter and just put a message out on the app and another resident in the building said that's what i do I, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to, i can help you i can come over no problem I think it's exciting, you know. It's all it's all there. And and does that do these developments encourage more sort of corporate landlords to say, you know what, I'm going to buy twenty flats in this building development with lots of young people, and then I have one sort of tenant that I can really cater to. I mean, is that a trend also? So you'd have a a new development, and there'd be one company, let's say, that would buy a number of apartments and manage them sort of to the same clientele. Is yeah. that going on as yeah, well? Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. um there's a there's a lot of that. It's um it makes sense to be able to have a whole floor or or you know a couple of floors or even a whole building. So there is there is a lot of that going on. And 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 also for for anyone who's looking at that, for example, if you're buying bulk from a developer, you're likely to get a better deal. You had mentioned ground leases and Again, not something we're totally familiar with in the U.S. And I wonder if you could give us just a quick sort of concept, what we're talking about, what that means. Remind me, we got a week to talk on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's you're absolutely right. It's probably one of the. Um, I mean, we we could go on for days on this. It's 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 a very. Um, it's, it's quite complex, and it is it is something which overseas buyers need to be mindful of and, and have a bit of education on because there are complex sort of structures and situations in in the UK and more more in particular sort of London or, or cities because a lot of the buildings are whilst they're freehold buildings the units are offered on what's called a lease okay so you would purchase that as in effect a, a leaseholder an example prime example is in classic white stucco London type property sure. so a lease in there could be anything from 20 years it could be 72 years it could be could be 100 years whatever and you would you would then buy that that lease so um, and then you, as the leaseholder, you would always have the rights to top that up. So you can pay to extend it. Okay. So topped up, you mean I go to the owner of the ground and I say, I want to buy myself more time from you. Yeah. And, 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 and do they have the right to say no? No, you have the, you have the right to extend. Um, so you have, you have the right to, to top up. And, and normally speaking, it's around 30, 30 years. Um, however, there are <laughs> in there are instances where um, you will have situations where you cannot if it, if it drops below sort of twenty years, for example, you will have what they call sort of almost like contract out leases, which means that you cannot top those leases up beyond that. So you could you could the lease at twenty years could drop down to fifteen years. You could pay then to have another five years to take it back up to twenty. It's a it's a complicated story. And so, but again, when we're talking about me as a leaseholder, we're talking about a person who went out to look for a property to buy, bought this property in, you know, Belgravia for millions, but I don't actually own the ground underneath my home. That's correct. That and is correct. And if for some reason I forgot to extend my lease, I would own the house, but I wouldn't own the ground. I would just own a house with no ground underneath it. If you, if the lease ran down and you did and you did that, then it, it affects it just that's it. it. It would be handed back to the to the freeholder. Wow. Yeah. And it's, these freeholders are old families, old British families. That typically, yeah, yeah typically. So you, I mean, London is made up of mini villages. If the way that you look at it, there's a yeah. num- number of estates who who are the beneficial landowners. So central London, you've got Belgravia which is Grosvenor Estates. You've got Chelsea which is, and Knightsbridge, which is Cadogan Estates. If you go up towards Marlebone, you've got two up there, the Portman Estate, the Howard de Walden Estates. You're going in towards Piccadilly Circus around there. That's all the Shaftesbury Estate. You know, there's a number of these, these um, landowners who've had them for years and passed through from generation to generation. So, so there's nothing um, pressing or urgent to change the whole system. There's nothing that would speak to that happening there's 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 a lot of talk on leasehold reform um and how it's done because unfortunately there are some there are some rogue um freeholders um <laughs> across the country and you know you go, go on to google and 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 type in you know stories about this there are there are people outside of, of london who's who who typically they've set up these leases with with really un, unfair terms that in terms of the the service charges and, and the costs associated with it they go up annually to to a ridiculous level okay. um and there was there was a very high profile case recently against i think he, he's affectionately known as britain's worst landlord um <laughs> so it's worth it's certainly worth a look at i mean it's, it's you know th- those instances don't happen what what i would you know what i would say is make sure you've got a very good lawyer to go through your leases is, so, so to close a property to buy a property you are necessarily hiring a lawyer correct it, yes yeah. okay and, yeah. and and transaction wise it's your realtor it's a lawyer 
it's relatively straightforward. So you, yeah, you would you would go to a realtor and you would find your property. You would make make your offer through the realtor, and then once it's agreed, you would appoint a lawyer who would then handle the conveyancing aspect for you. Um, that might cost you a thousand pounds. It might cost you ten thousand pounds. Might cost you more. Depends on the complexity of and yeah, sure. and and also the the the, the I guess the, the quality of the lawyer as well. Both parties will sign a contract. Lawyers will swap them, and then that's the exchange of contracts. And at that point is when the deposit is um, effectively paid. And then you would then have another couple of weeks or maybe a month after that to what we, what's known as completion. And at that point, final monies are paid, everything's done and dusted, and keys are handed over. So start to finish, it's about a two-month process? It can be done quick. It, yeah. it depends. Again, it depends on if you're a cash buyer, you can do it very quickly. And as long as you don't raise any issues or, or too many queries or, or need things done, you can you can get these things done in a week. So tell me about some area of London that is changing and amazing or just the place where people want to be. The place where <laughs> people want to be. And it's interesting. I mean, we, we touched on one earlier. There's, there's, there's three in my mind which really excite me. Um, the, the first one is King's Cross, purely because of what's going on up there. There's a lot of, a lot of new developments going in. There's a lot of really fun um, sort of working opportunities. Google are going into the area. It's just, it's just changed. It used to be you know, not maybe not a destination that people want to live and work. Was it industrial? Was it what was yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was industrial. It was you know, it was it was King's Cross has always been known as quite a big sort of hub for a for a station to take you to the north of England. Okay. Um, you've had the St Pancras has come in there now, so you get the Eurostar into Paris. It's got you know fantastic champagne bar, largest in Europe, <laughs> well worth a visit. Um, <laughs> and um, and it's just you know it's, it's just become a real a real area for where people want to go to. It's super well connected. You can get about the city really really easily. Well, it sounds like you can get there from outside the city easily too, which is interesting for Google to be thinking, hey, let's go there and allow people who aren't living in the city maybe a a lower income worker to be able yeah. to access. Uh, Absolutely. Easily. I mean, if you think about it, you can get to Paris in two hours pretty much it's from amazing. there. So it's, yeah, it's great. And, you know, from, from there also, you can get up to, you can get up to the north of England now in under two hours as well. So you can get to Leeds, Manchester, where it might be in, in, in under two hours. So the, it's become very, very connected. And then I guess another area to look at is, is one of my favorites is, is Covent Garden. I love it. It's, um, it's an area which it's kind of tourist is, shops. It's, and... Do you know what? I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> That's really, my it's... Covent Garden. As <laughs> I remember. I'm so glad you said that because that is exactly the perception of Covent Garden. Sure. And it's just, if you go there, for those that who've been there um, many years ago, yeah. if you go back now, I can guarantee you it's a whole different vibe. So you've got a landowner there called Capco and they they effectively own the whole estate and they've, they've turned it into a real destination. They've made it really pretty. They've got a great development, which is I think it was the fastest selling development in London called Flora Court. It was fantastic. Um, residential? Or that was residential, yeah. Residential. Boutique residential. It's just become a really lovely, the atmosphere is great. It's the old, it's the old fruit and vegetable market. It's, it's lovely. It's just, it's just changed into a real destination. Um, so that's the, that's, that would be number two. Um, and then the other one, um, which I think is one to watch, is is down towards just the other side of Canary Wharf, a place called Greenwich Peninsula. It's got it's 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 at the early stages of the the first phases being released. So they're going to build about sixteen thousand homes down there. Wow! Um, it's a peninsula. It's just for those who don't know the area, it is um, right by the O2 okay. in London. So okay. from a connectivity point of view, it's right by City Airport. 
So to get into into Europe, super easy. Yeah. Um, it is. Um, it's also it's literally one stop from Canary Wharf. Um, so if you work in the city, it's absolutely ideal. And also what they're going to be doing is they're going to be putting a, um, a private residence boat, um, which will take you straight across the river um, directly into Canary Wharf, which is quite fun. That is fun. Um, which I think is great. And, and also it's, it's become a bit of a sort of cultural and, and art district as well. Um, so they've got, they've got some really cool pop-up um, sort of art and design um, sort of sectors. You've got more shops and things coming in there. It's um it's it's just a it's just a really really fun and sounds sort of vibrant. It is fun. it is it's it's one of those and they, they've I think they're, they're, I think it's about eighty five of the units that are sold down there for rental. Um, all of them have had tenants very quickly, and all of them have got minimum of a four percent return. So I think it's exciting, and I think once once that development's done, I think people will they'll they'll they will see capital growth there quicker than they would somewhere else. Sounds like a very strong focus still on the connection between Europe and the UK. Brexit somehow sounds so dire from the outside and it feels like London is just kind of plodding forward and saying, okay, it's going to be a change, but we've kind of absorbed it into our market. We've absorbed it into our thinking. Europe is still a very close partner and friend and we're going to kind of work our way through this. Like I like that spirit. We're nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think tea party aside, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, No, so I mean, look, you you mentioned it there. The connectivity for London is absolutely crucial. It's 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 a big city. It's a big, big city, and you know, from whether it's Heathrow in the west, Gatwick in the south. Um, London City in uh, obviously out in the east, um, Stansted up north. There's, there's four pretty big airports to get around, but also we've got um, Crossrail coming in, which is um, is a big train line which is going to be running from east to west or west to east, whichever way you're coming. Um, and it's it's super exciting because you're going to be able to get to from Heathrow into Canary Wharf in in under half an hour. You know, from a connectivity point of view, it's great. You can fly in your overnight flight, land at seven o'clock in the morning, straight into the city for your meeting. So it's, you know, it's going to be perfect for that. It's it's exciting times in the UK. I think we just, let's get through Halloween and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we can all move on. Well, let's all get dressed up and enjoy Halloween and Brexit and whatever comes. Thank you so much, Guy. This is just really informative and interesting, and I really appreciate your insights. Not at all. Thank you for the opportunity. I've loved it. Okay. And thanks so much for listening to this episode of Whereabouts. If you want to find out more about the London real estate market, learn more about my co-host, Guy Bradshaw, or listen to other episodes of Whereabouts, head to whereabouts-podcast.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review. I'm Miranda Genowitz, and you've been listening to Whereabouts. <laughs>